Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 75 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, and I mean really simply everything, has a history, like notebooks, beans, or avocados, or freedom and imprisonment, or up and down, or inside and out, hot or or cold. You see what I'm doing there? I, I, I think... Opposite. <laughs> avocado? What's the opposite of an avocado? Um... Pear. <laughs> it's not the opposite. I don't know what the opposite of avocado is. <laughs> Think of it in terms of a salad. So it would be chicken, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's an unexpected sort of okay. opposite. Well, go on, let's Cav- Cavanado or something <laughs> like that. Ridiculous. So what are we talking about today? So we are, this podcast, we have suddenly got derailed at the beginning there. It is snowing. It's a snow day. We have children uh, right. in, the, in the shed. Yep. We're going to be bringing them in later. Hello, kiddies. We will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the humble egg is in fact all about childhood fights, late 80s rap music, and of course the Beatles, and the secret world of espionage? Or that the lean is about medieval buildings octogenarian sailors, walking sticks, that's the material (laughs) culture of the lean, and gangsters. It's literally leaning on people. I I didn't know any of that. Which connects us to thumbs. (laughs) History of thumbs. It's about thumb screws. What's about thumb screws? Oh, leaning on people. Leaning on Pressure of getting people to do what you want them to. Mm. The man sitting opposite me is the Magus of Ages. It's Professor (laughs) Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's Professor James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, hello, Sam. Sam, I think that is one of the best uh, rhyming uh, nicknames for me that you've come up with. Mm -hmm. Um, The man sitting opposite me is the Admiral of the Archives. It is the truly wonderful the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Thank you very much, James. Now, um, we're both excited about this podcast. Yes. And we've been wanting to do it. We both sort of sensed that there was a lot of history 
to be about, involved. And we are pockets. doing the history of pockets. Now, I, I have a plug here because my thinking about this, the reason we're doing it and what has framed most of my research and thinking about this is a brilliant article that I read this week in the journal Costume. Now, of course, you're all avid readers of the journal Costume, um, but it's by a terrific um, historian uh, called Rebecca Unsworth who did her PhD at the Victoria and Albert Museum uh, with uh, Angela McShane, among mm-hmm. others. Um, and the title of it is Hands Deep in History, Pockets in Men and Women's Dress in Western Europe, circa 1480 to 1630. Ooh. It is a terrific read, and you should all go out. Uh, it's openly accessible to everyone, so it's free online. You should all go and read it, and I will be talking bits and pieces about this as we go. Right. Well, I think we're going to start by just sort of thinking very crazily about about pockets and what might or might not those histories be involved in. I want to start now. We're going to introduce... Uh, it's snowing outside. Yep. School has been cancelled. So in my recording shed, I have... Um, come and stand over here, guys. Who have I got here? My name is B Willis. And how old are you, B Willis? I'm 11. And who's this? And I'm Felix Willis and I'm 12. Right. Goodness so um, we're going to do the history of pockets. Now... Um, I'm juniors in the house. I'm, I'm interested in what's yep. in a pocket historically and in present day. So today, I've got two pounds ATP. Uh, I've got a wallet um, and uh, a single glove. A single glove. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you know what a single glove means. <laughs> what does that mean? So present, present, I mean it means that we're we're going to have a fight if you drop it in front so, of me. What was the sexy one? What was the I fancy? Uh, you that's if a you're a girl and you drop her. You drop a sort of a glove in front of somebody. Mm. It's about chastity. We can't talk about such things in present company. No. So, and um, what have no. you got in your pockets? Uh, I have a handful of coins, mostly ones and two Ps, because my daughters tend to pilfer from my pockets. And leaning in the other pocket, I have an enormous wallet that is overstuffed. Right. Um, <laughs> and I have a, and in my, I've, the problem with winter is you just have so many things on, so many layers and so many pockets. I always lose things. But in here, I have a, <laughs> I have a, oh my a God. paper bag. You're like a walking bin. It's a bin, a paper <laughs> bag from. Well, I, I, since we were recording today, and since it was cold, I brought a snacks, and I have an empty snack <clears> thing, and um, I think I have some straw and a bent paper clip. So it's like words or gummage. Yeah, sort of straw. My, they are capacious pockets used for. It's extraordinary. Have you got a everything. pen? You're a good historian. You must have a pen. Yeah, I took it out of my pocket. So uh, okay, the recent history of that pen is is pocket. That it's been in my pocket. Mm. And have you ever read uh, Angelica Sprocket's Pockets? No. The Quentin Blake book. Yeah. I'm looking at three vacant faces. Yeah, Shame on you. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. It's brilliant. It, uh, she's a character who keeps bringing out things from her pockets. Like Mary Poppins, her bag. Uh, yes, exactly like Mary Poppins. The bottomless bag. pockets. Yes. Huh. Now, this raises the question of what's in your pockets, kids. <laughs> so let's have a. Um, well, I've got my wallet, which only has about two pounds in it. Yep. Ah, I've got a fork. <laughs> a fork. I've got a fork. <laughs> I'm brilliant. Just in case. Uh, um, I got You're a, armed. I got a cricket ball because I'm into cricket. Yeah. And, and you carry it around. Well, I always you? walk around with balls yes. in my pockets. Yes. Apart from today, oh, I, have yes. a, I always I've have bouncy balls. Ball. Really? Yes. Like a squash ball to sort of yeah, a little tighten bouncy your ball. grip. Particularly, where, no, 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 just to bounce against walls. Yeah. Uh, ah, to to stave great, off the great escape. Exactly like the great escape, but I do it in airports a lot. Really? Yeah. yeah. Do they, do they, they get annoyed with you? I have a marble to fiddle with because I like fiddling. So be like spinning a thing. Felix, what have you got? I have a sort of stretchy snake. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a pet stretchy snake. Very good. Yeah, I, I do. I've got a yo-yo. Yo-yo. Oh, cool. Yeah. Love yo-yos. And I've got a sort of eyeball-sized 
So you, uh, that's good. So you're true, you're true Willis in that both of you have got bouncy balls. So I'm now sitting here with a sporty family, (laughs) three, three balls and a fork. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, And a snake. So I I was reading a story recently about this guy who um, got to think of the, of of the pockets of your jackets as somewhere that you might store something precious. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a story about a guy who got a second hand suit and he bought the suit off someone else from a second-hand shop, and he went through the pockets, and in one of the pockets was a lottery ticket. And it won. Wow. Like no $20 million. No way. Yeah. Was it his lottery ticket? No. No, it was someone else's. Is that else's. fraud? It, is that fraud? fraud? I'm not sure what it is. It's not fraud, it's not theft. It's luck. It is pure luck. Pure and unadulterated luck. Yeah. but um, So I, I reckon that if people went through all of the old suits that they had or old old dresses or whatever it is um you might find some interesting stuff the pocket as archive the pocket as archive mm. have you ever found interesting in a pocket of a suit something i did recently um i've all I, suits that i rare infrequently tend to be repositories for things and i tend to wear suits on special occasions mm. and i found the order of service for my grandmother's funeral recently oh. which which she passed away quite a, quite a while ago so i obviously haven't i haven't Remove that suit or check that pocket, you know, since yeah. the since the funeral. But what what I what I'm interested I've in. I've got a quick question, go actually. So, what do you guys think would have been like in the pockets of kids a hundred uh, years ago? Oh, stolen food. Stolen food, <laughs> likely. Stolen food and stolen money. Yeah. I would say a sort of ancient stone yo-yo. Ancient so yo toys. So <laughs> hundred years ago. Yeah, hundred years oh, ago, um, people were playing with yogos, maybe, but they, like, stone. they would have still um, had toys. I think yes, that's the point. Yes, they might yes. have had like, a piece of chalk to draw a hopscotch. Yeah, ah. chalk's very useful, and you could make games out of it. So, so yeah. again, a childhood plaything. I think we should do the unexpected history of childhood at some yes, point. I think we should. I think we would learn a great deal from these these these, these wise, professional children. Wise children. They are pro I, I kids. Childhood. <laughs> For my life, <laughs> twelve years, for my twelve years. Right, let's do, um, do some history here. Um, so what I'm interested in is thinking about, you know, the meaning of the pocket. I know you hate the word taxonomy, but mm-hmm. I'm, I, but what I mean by that is a kind of is a laying out of all the different ways in which we can we can order pockets and we can start thinking about pockets. First off, is thinking about definitions of pocket. What is a pocket? Yeah, and. You know, we think we're very used to today. We've already had this conversation about, you know, numerous pockets that we've all got, you know, young, old, male, female. Um, You think about men's suits and the number of pockets that you've got there. But, you know, there was a time when pockets were not pockets in the way that they are these sort of cloth envelopes stitched onto the outside or inside of clothing. They were, in fact, more like little purses. So they were portable pockets. Mm. That you'd have you'd have tied on. So women in the 16th and 17th century would have had little pockets that they would have worn under their clothes. You know, you'd sort of tie it on on yourself, um, and then you'd have a hole. You'd have a sort of slit in the petticoat so that you could sort of put your your hand in and get to your pocket. Um, so there are different ways of thinking about that. We can also we can also write a chronology of the pocket, hmm. and we can gender that. So we can talk about differences for men and women. Um, we know from archaeology that there are ancient pockets. So people would have had, you know, ancient bags. Um, medieval period, pockets are similarly sort of external, external sort of portable things. By the late 15th century, they are becoming much more evident. Um, and we can see them stitched into clothings and under clothes. By the, 
but for women by the later 17th century as dresses kind of change and so it's dresses become much much tighter so pocket it's much more difficult to put pockets underneath and into the 18th century they're replaced by small bags called a reticule r e t i c u l e by the 1850s and 90s they're stitched into clothes for women and it's connected to suffrage and feminism and the rational dressed campaign that was founded in 1891 post war there is a decrease in pockets uh, alarmingly and you think about um hillary clinton recently um and this is for women think about hillary clinton recently and that televised presidential debate with that with um you know that trump monster like sort of looming behind her prowling power suit, yeah. prowling power suit no pockets mm. whereas for men you know from the 18th century suit was full of pockets and think about pockets related to different functions so a beer pocket a beer pocket a beer pocket What's 1910 a, i want a beer pocket a bottle a pocket that you'd put a bottle of beer in allowing Absolutely. allowing your hands to be free to hold other bottles of beer to hold other bottles of beer <laughs> it's perfect or cargo pockets like in cargo pants big bulky pockets oh like that you'd the put trousers military, as well mili- you know munitions and maps mm. and handkerchiefs in um and there are alternatives to pockets as well um the the cod piece <laughs> early early cod pieces were used as pockets so imagine sort of you know and there are, there are reports of people at court you know keeping money fruit uh in their you know food in their you know we can think of the obvious and ones nuts, fruit and nuts, nuts plums bananas <laughs> you know whatever um all in there and and i think there's something about the cultural history of the pocket how you know why why the move from the cod piece to the pocket a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. 
Yeah. You know, and putting your hands down your trousers in yeah. your codpiece to take out money to pay something is not exactly the same as having a you no. know something in your in your pocket and <clears throat> different types of pocket. Hmm. Breast pocket, inside pocket, watch pocket, you know fob fob pockets. I mean we we no longer have those because it's no it's no longer fashionable to have a a watch on a chain. Secret pockets? Secret secret pockets. Oh. I've got one in a suit. It's just sort of by my left armpit almost it's quite high up and it's quite hidden um but it's a small it's a small pocket it, it can basically hold something like a ring or a cyanide or, tablet a cyanide tablet or yes. an sd card ah, do you use it uh no but i quite see, like see, it see i think if i had a pocket like that i would put something in it and then i would forget about it and then then it would get washed like a cyanide and some, tablet and then you'd eat your yes, suit and then die <laughs> These are or I'd lose or I'd lose a ring. Right. Listen, let's. Um, I, I want to. I'm going to stop you there with your crazy taxonomy, which has been good fun. What's in your pocket? What's what do you keep in your pocket? I know. I know. How does it change over time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the sources for how we study pockets. And yes. I'd like to just do art oh, as brilliant. one one source. So have a look at this painting. This. What have you got here? Is a painting us, um, by a guy called William Powell Frith in 1858. Um, it's called Derby Day. So it is a panorama of a Victorian life. Um, Google this, everyone. Yeah, it's go, to, go to Google. It's a huge, long painting, and there are hundreds of people in it. And this guy basically invented the the, the, the type of painting of Victorian panorama. He'd done one called Life at the Seaside of Ramsgate yep. in 1857. This one of the Derby Day is quite extraordinary for what it tells us, what it shows us about the Victorian relationship with their pockets. Mm. So let's start and look over on the left here. Far left, you've got this chap in a kind of farmer's smock, um, rustic-looking gentleman, ruddy-faced from being outside, and his wife's sort of grabbing hold of him. He's ignoring her and looking over his shoulder to some well-dressed gentlemen standing here who are gambling. Now, he has got one hand in his pocket as if he's testing to see if there's any money there, if he wants to have a gamble. Now, the very opposite of this gentleman is someone right on the other side. So if you go all the way to the right-hand side, can you see this chap here? Yeah. He is um, a louche type. He is a, an aristocratic cad. He's leaning against um, a a cart. It's not called a cart. It's what it's called. Carriage. A carriage um, with, with, with a very pretty well-to-do lady in it. And he's leaning back. He's got his hands sort of in his waistband or in pockets at the top of his trousers in a very distinctive way. He's, he's kind of keeping the woman. He's striking a pose. He's not looking for something. He's, 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 he's using his pockets to, to appear in a certain way. Now, the final one... He looks shifty. To he me. looks properly shifty. He's a, he's, a, he's a bad egg, that guy. Yeah. Now, look at this other chap in the middle. So um, there he is. He's, uh, he's reasonably him. smartly dressed. So he's neither a Top rustic... Hat. He's neither an impoverished rustic, nor is he a wealthy aristocrat. Um, top hat, a bit like a banking clerk, and he, yep. he looks a bit miserable. He's standing next to the guys who are gambling, and he's firmly got both hands in his pockets as if to to acknowledge there's nothing left there. So I suspect he's been stripped of all of his money by those gamblers. Mm. Now, in contrast to these guys, you've got this lady right in the centre here. Um, wearing a very pretty dress, a sort of pink and white lace dress, and she's looking in a purse because she hasn't got any pockets. Not yeah. only did women in this period not have pockets, but yes. they were 
systematically deprived of pockets by people yes. who made clothes. Now, what I love about this particularly is that this chap's looking over her shoulder into her purse. So yeah. he can see, other people can see if she has any money. Yeah. This The ability to kind of have money or to, to keep it private, is it's, she doesn't have that. It's not like these gentlemen elsewhere who are searching their pockets for cash. She must do it in a very public way. Um, so this guy who painted it, William Powell Frith, he, he, he believed in phrenology, Yes. So he believed that the way you physically appeared and the way you behaved and acted was indicative of class, but also characteristics of behaviour, yes. um, yes. which makes this painting particularly um, particularly fascinating. I love it, just for what it tells us about yeah, Victorians yeah, yeah. and their pockets. And what it's, what it's, what's great about it is that it's this real cross-section of society. The clothing historians would look at this you know, and examine the pockets from a sort of from all all manner of of examples. And I think it's a great it's a great example of one of the brilliant sources for studying pockets. And that's one of the sort of big questions. Well you mean art? Um, yeah, art, paintings. <clears throat> it's one of the big questions that we need to ask ourselves. How do you study something like a like a pocket? Well, we talked about this when we looked at gloves. You know, and many of the sources are very similar. And you've got visual sources like this. And so you can put together a series of paintings, portraits across time, across cultures to have a look at different types of, of pocket and use that as a way of, of looking at how the style and uses of pockets, you know, shift. You've then got um, documentary sources, so mm -hmm. written documents. And where you've got a big digital collection like the state papers online, which unfortunately is behind a paywall, so you need to go to a research library to use it. But you can use a key search term, such as pockets, pocket, or whatever, and pull up all these mentions of pockets in different in different documents. And what's brilliant about the, the state papers is that you'll see all manner of things from inventories and you know wardrobe accounts. You can see pockets at court. But also, because it's also about state surveillance, you can also look at the way in which pockets have been used to hide secret things. So people who have been um, captured um, will often hide secret letters in pockets and then have to turn out their pockets. The other great source is the Old Bailey Online and pickpockets. Ah. Um, so people who came into... People who came into... Um, you, you know, who came to court because they were caught stealing from people's pockets. You know, there's a whole mass of material on this. Um, and I, I suppose people are saying that, that I had these things stolen yes, from me, yes, so you get to know what yes, was in their pocket. Yes, ah. Exactly. I've got an example here um, from 4th of December, 1717. William Carlyle came before the Old Bailey Courthouse. Um, and this is a guy uh, living in, in Westminster, he was indicted for privately stealing a pocket, value of one pence, two gold rings, value of 19 shillings, a laced handkerchief, value of 10 shillings and two shillings, six pence in money, from the person Susan Wright, the 23rd of September last. The prosecutor deposed that her pocket was the, with great violence pulled off by a boy, which tearing down her petticoat in doing it, she was obliged to take it up and so could not follow him. And so he got off. She verily believed the prisoner to be the person, but was not positive enough to influence the jury to find him guilty. So they acquitted him. And in it, we see a, a you know, we see not only the crime itself, the way, how she was wearing it, but as you say, 
you know, all of the items in it. Um, Archaeology is also another brilliant source for this. I mean, one of the difficult things is actually reconstructing what survives in a pocket. Descriptions like that allow us to, but often the pockets that survive, and the Victorian Albert Museum has a great collection of, of pockets across the ages, but often the contents are not there. But with archaeology, they can be. With archaeology, yeah. they can be. Mary Rose. Uh, um, Mary there Rose. was a, a pocket found, or what's thought to be a pocket found, that containing a comb. And so what we get is this kind of is this sense of what people in the past would have kept in their pockets, and they tend to be private, personal possessions. Yeah. You know, it's something that you want to keep safe. Yeah. So you compare that to say a box or a trunk, which would be kept elsewhere in a room. And when at a time when people often lived very communally, uh, servants might have slept in the same room or even the same bed. Having a pocket that was on your person meant that you kept something very close and very, yeah, very safe. Well, this um, talking about what you keep in pockets is wonderful because I've got these. Ah, it's a tremendous these pocket are the, books. Pocket books. So I've got the pocket book of ships, which has got all sorts of wonderful pictures of flags. I've talked about that before, actually. The um, Observer's Book of Sea and Seashore. So these must be between the 20s and the 50s. The Observer's Book of Sea Fishes, which is quite fun. There's a ray on the front. Um, the Weather Book. So here you are. You could go and walk around and... Oh, look, it's signed. Mr. Chippendale. Um, you, you know, tells you about the weather you're experiencing. And then this one, instructions for British servicemen in France. See, that's Ooh. a that's a pocket guide. That's the kind of thing you'd have if you Handy. got shot down yeah. behind enemy lines. You actually needed a guide. You needed a survival thing. So um, that's, a, that's a wonderful little thing. But anyway, others. Pocket handkerchiefs. Here you are. Uh, what's this? Ooh, that is a pocket pen knife. That's a, it's a pen knife. Right. Um, and it's, it's really, have you got a pen knife? I do. I do. I have a... Leatherman penknife, mm. uh, which I keep on my desk in a bowl. Do you? Yes. So you're not like MacGyver making things all the time? No, 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 no. Not doing I, anything. My, like mine that. also lives in my study. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like good, good historians. We've got one. We never use it. I mean, interesting thing here is that is that mine's got it's got a variety of things. It's it almost possible to get. Stiff to open. Yeah, it's even got a nail file so that when you break your nails, <laughs> getting them out, you can mend them. Um, but the interesting thing, the history of the Swiss army knife. Okay, because here you are, there's a bit of a bit of a thought about this. One of the things all of these guys have uh, these, I actually can't get that out. Ah, knackered. Tin opener. Tin opener. Um so the history of the Swiss Army knife is all to do with the history of cans and canning. It came out at a time where the um, soldiers were started were given their food in cans, it was preserved, so they had to have a tool yep. to be able to do it. And the other thing that they had was one of these. A screwdriver. Screwdriver. So a to, Phillips screwdriver, is it? That is a Phillips. Um <laughs> but the point is is that so for the original Swiss army at the time of the Swiss army knife, they had to have a tool to take their guns apart. So uh, it was at, at an age and a time before people made guns which could be dismantled yeah, and, and yeah, put back together yeah. again with just by kind of pressing buttons and clicking things in. Yeah. And that, if you if you take apart a gun that was made from the, I don't know, 30s or 40s onwards, they are so amazingly smooth. And, and the whole point is you don't need mm, a tool. Mm-mm. What I particularly like about the Swiss army knife is that... Um, there were actually inventions like it before the Swiss Army knife. And do you know where the evidence for that comes from? Mm, no. Moby Dick. Moby Dick. How about oh, that? God, Moby Dick is a cornucopia of references. I know, I know. References. Here we are. So in 1851, so this is, this is you know, 20 or so years before the Swiss Army knife, Melville talks about Sheffield contrivances. So uh, Sheffield steel Sheffield steel, knives, Sheffield knives. Yes. Assuming the exterior, though a little swelled, so it's a bit, bit bigger, 
Sheffield contrivances assuming the exterior, though little swelled, of a common pocket knife, but containing not only blades of various sizes, but also screwdrivers, corkscrews, tweezers, awls, pens, pens, rulers, nail filers, and countersinkers. Ooh, I, I've, I have a countersinker. Yeah. I've never used it. They're those things for making screws flush in wood. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, now, another type of knife which I'm really interested in is the switchblade. So flick Ooh, knife, proper flick yes. knife. Can you imagine what I, a proper stiletto flick knife, yes. like the black one with a silver button and yes. it's kind of got the sort of wavy medieval looking bit at the top. Yeah. So those are Italian, nasty things. Interesting you're yeah. saying that, but um, they're Italian of, of origin and they came back to America with American servicemen who'd been fighting in Italy during the Second World War. They then become massively popular in the States, and it leads to a, to a huge rise of knife crime amongst oh. urban gangs, right. um, which then leads to all sorts of litigation to yes. control it. There was, there was a, a big, massive national problem about these toys, they were yep. called, that killed yep. people. But Hollywood picked up on it. So in the 50s, you've got a load of films in which... Um, these switchblades, these flick knives, play a really big part. You've got Rebel Without a Cause in 55, Crime in the Streets, 56, 12 Angry Men, 57, The Delinquents, 57, High School Confidential, 58, and then West Side Story as well in the same same period, 1958. Um, It's really interesting how that that happened and how Hollywood got on the back of it, but it all came from a little Italian pocket knife switchblade switch factory. Yep. We used to have flick combs at school, which looked the same. They were really cool, oh, except it would go whoosh. I was never allowed one. They were always thought too dangerous. Really? Take your eye out, oh. my dad said. But they'd give you a great, great quiff. They, I bet they would. Yeah, and you look cool. I bet they would. I bet they would. Look at this great hair <laughs> in, my, in my hat. You need my to win- comb it, I My think. winter hat today. I do. I need a, Do you have a flick comb? Not- <laughs> so I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction, uh, which is... Um, the fact that women's clothing doesn't really have pockets. We mentioned um, that talking about the painting. Didn't we, we mentioned that talking about the painting, and and what that can what that can mean for a woman not to have somewhere on her person to keep things. And I think this sort of leads us to the sort of argument about suffrage and women's freedom and the rational dress society that I talked about in 1891. And the idea here was that it was a move away from those sort of tight, restrictive corset-wearing times and encouraging women to wear much much more flexible, freedom, free clothes um, that allowed them to sort of move around. And there's an 1899 article in the New York Times that somewhat sort of, you know, in, in jest, uh, writes, as we become more civilised, we need more pockets, the piece says. Um, no pocketless people have ever been great since pockets were invented. And the female sex cannot rival us while it is pocketless. Mm. But I think this notion about about the pocket and freedom, you're almost like a room of one's own, the sort of Virginia Woolf sort of idea about having a, a library and a room where you can sort of be a be a writer. Actually having pockets that you can that you can you can carry your things in. Compared to men's pockets. You know, men have pockets absolutely everywhere for putting all sorts of things in. Mm. Important things. Yeah. Um, I have too many pockets. I hate pockets. A cargo cargo pants are that's a very sort of masculine world of 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 the military. And pre World War Two, the British bring in pockets for military uniform in order to put a map and probably a sort of med- first aid kit in. Yeah. And then the US military bring in pockets in jackets and also pockets in trousers to carry ammo the kinds of things that you you know you don't have you can't carry in your backpack mm, mm. 
So the history of pockets. Do you do? Absolutely brilliant. I, th- I think we could do more on the history of pockets. We may come back and do pockets too. Pockets two. as a metaphor for <clears throat> finance, to put your hands in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a pocket judge. To have a judge in your pocket is all about corruption. Well, bear with us, guys. We might do another one on pockets. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Pod. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. You can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips and all sorts of stuff at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.